baby and welcome. My baby? How about all of my babies? Hello, my babies. And welcome to... Po it's time to mix things up anyway. It gets repetitive. Welcome to Poker in the Ears. I'm Uncle Daddy. I'm Joe Stapleton. He's my work wife. He's James Hardigan. I'm not going to mix it up. I'm going to go with a random national day. Happy National Scrabble Day, Joe. I love Scrabble. But I, I, I hate Scrabble. Really? What do you yeah. hate about Scrabble? It's too much thinking. If I'm playing a game, I just want to have fun and relax. James doesn't like word games. We figured this out. I've tried to get him to help me with the New York Times crossword puzzle spelling bee on multiple occasions. He's like, eh, not yeah, for me. No, not for me. Not for me. <laughs> Coming up on today's show, it's our Irish Poker Open 2023 recap. It was a record-breaking event. It was a record-breaking prize pool. Of. It was our first time being involved, and it was old Hardy's first time playing a live-streamed main event. It was indeed. And speaking of hearts, it also happened to be won by a player who's recently become near and dear to our hearts, EPT London final tableist and Irish Poker Open 2023 winner David Doherty will be the guest on today's show. This week's super fan is Trish Howard, and she is quizzing me on Irish trivia. Trish the Irish, of which I am now an expert, having been immersed in Irish culture for the past week. I had pizza. I had burgers. I had all of the Irish cuisine. You did have a spice bag, as recommended by Fenton, and I'm sure you're now very familiar with the price of Guinness. Yes, I, that, those are two things. Hopefully, those are two questions. What does a They're spice not. bag taste like? No, <laughs> no I can tell you now, spoiler alert, that um, actually, on the subject of spoilers, I think we probably need to talk about TV shows. And uh, just very quickly, guys, yeah. if you have not seen the most recent episode of Succession, uh, if you're following the show and don't want to know what happens in episode three, please pause now and come back to the podcast when you've finished watching it because it's very difficult for us to talk about this show without revealing what happens. And I guess, uh, Joe, I'd without revealing... You'll probably, you probably just skip like four minutes also. You don't have to like never come back to Yeah, the show, I, I just find it very difficult to estimate how long we're going to take to whine about something because it's really hard to talk <sighs> about this show uh, without spoiling it. And it's very hard to talk about this show without revealing the fact that it got spoilt for anyone who didn't watch it the night that it aired. Yeah, so tip. Look, we know that if there's a show we like, that there's maybe gonna be some spoilers, um, or, or things that hint at spoilers that you can't quite figure out. There were not only was there social media spoilers, but actual newspaper headlines that spoiled the major event that happened. I'm not gonna say what it is, James. If you feel like we have to say what it is to talk about this. But it was, and it's it's a show that actually doesn't really even have spoilers for the most part, right? It's like a show that's about characters and about dialogue. And like, if I had found out any other thing, except for maybe the season one finale, which had like a major event happen in it. Other than that, there's not really anything you could spoil on the show. But here's the problem. Here's the problem with this particular thing being spoiled. When you know that that's coming... The whole rest of the episode is 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 nothing. Okay, I don't, I don't necessarily agree with that take on it. I still think it's a very good episode. But the whole point here is that the event of this episode was inevitable. 
And we expected it to happen probably at some stage towards the end of the season. I didn't expect it to happen at all. He's the he's the the most interesting thing about this show to sure. me. Sure. I think we knew it was going to end this way because from the very first season, his health has obviously been a major story point. Yeah. But none of us expected it to happen right at the start of the final season completely with no build-up, without warning, and when you know, coming into the episode, that's going to happen, it ruins the entire experience. But what follows is some of the best acting you will see in television drama probably for the next decade. Okay, so that's another reason why I hated the episode is because as a fellow who like who would like to dabble in acting at some point, I watched the performances by Roman and Shiv and, and Alan Ruck to a certain extent. Jeremy Strong is always good, right? And I thought that he was just his normal self. But the other three actors I just mentioned are like so, so good in this. Sarah Snook like, particularly was outstanding. That outstanding. I will never be a good actor compared to these people. Like, you know, I'm struggling to do these small little like commercial roles, me holding a box in the corner. I'm like, is that believable? Is it believable? Am I believable as guy holding box? And these two people are like grieving, like experiencing actual grief over losing their abusive father and all of their unknown, like unresolved issues all coming out on the screen. Unbelievable. I have to say I was specific. I was particularly mad at the newspaper spoilers because first of all, you're a newspaper. Like, what are you doing? Spoiling TV shows on the front fucking page. Isn't the front page of a newspaper supposed to be for shit. That's important. First of all, yes. Second of all, but it's also to sell newspapers. And the reality is it's a show that, Lots of people have seen that everyone is talking about and showbiz often makes the front pages because it does unfortunately sell. It's also like a bit like I'm I'm so sick of serious organizations being funny. Like not everyone has to be funny all the time. Like leave it to the professionals. I even muted keywords on Twitter. I muted succession. I muted Roy. And then my buddy Rob, unfortunately, had to tweet a joke about like, oh, I didn't think they were going to kill off Rupert Murdoch. And I was like, no, wait, why? <laughs> he, he got around my filters even. It's like not everyone watches something when it premieres. This isn't the 90s anymore. Someone it's heard so a video on demand. Very, very frustrating. Um, talking of frustrating, uh, The Mandalorian, did you finally watch the episode that I don't we got to talk about it on last week's podcast because I didn't see it until I flew to Dublin. Yeah. But the the side quest episode, as everyone's calling it, with the distracting, unfunny cameos. So, OK, so I, I haven't watched the most recent episode because my girlfriend got real sick last night. And OK, she... uh, no spoilers, but the most recent episode, we're yeah. back on track. The most recent episode, okay. solid. Okay. But it doesn't make up for... Now, the kind of like distraction episodes. The one before the Jack Black episode. Yes. I watched it and I kind of liked it. I was I was like, uh, I, I really sort of, look, those those like, oh, we're defending like a planet from evildoers. Like, I don't really care. I can watch that like over and over again. No, it was, it was, it was decent. It, it, anything which is advancing the plot, anything which is action packed is great. This was nothing the story yeah. was lame the mystery was lame and as i said the cameos just felt so shoehorned it it didn't okay so this one the one with jack black and lizzo didn't bother me as much as it bothered you um i didn't mind like the the i robot ripoff 
um, like even just aesthetically, it, a lot of it looked and, and felt like iRobot. Um, so I wasn't like the cleverest episode or like groundbreaking by any means, but it didn't really bother me. It felt like a like a fine side quest. Um, I just am not all that. I know it's crazy because it's what the plot of the season is about. Like, I'm not all that invested in the Mandalorians returning to Mandalore. Like, I don't really care. I'm not really, like, that into them. They're weirdos. This, this is very much a Dave Filoni storyline, and this very much ties into the whole Clone Wars Rebels kind of backstory. And I think if you've been following those shows, it would be more meaningful. They, but, they come across, like, religious zealots, which I don't care for in real life, let alone in in my fantasy world. So, I, I mean, I assume that there's going to be – they break away from that at some point. I, I do think it was funny, though. I was thinking about this, how um, Bo-Katan Kreese is, like, way too much of a smoke show to have her wear the helmet the whole time. And they're like, you know what? You can take the helmet off. <laughs> Okay, enough about TV shows. Not that we've had a chance to watch more than two episodes. That's because it, yeah. Irish Poker Open 2023 has just happened. Let's get into it. This was my first visit to the Irish Open since 2012. Am I right in saying, saying, Joe, this is the first time you've ever been to this event? First time I've ever been to the event. Obviously, we were in Dublin once before for the EPT, and I think I went one time on a Tinder date and spent a couple of days in Dublin. Uh, but yes, first time at the Irish Poker Open for me. Um, I actually got there a few days before, James. Yes, you did. Because I asked this time around. See, during Paris, I don't know if we talked about this that much, but like... I was jet lagged really bad, and I think other people were too because it, some people would come from the states also. So it had hit everyone really hard. Where I was napping, like on my breaks, like on the floor of EPT Paris, and I asked if I could go to Ireland a couple days early so I could get adjusted. And it just so happened that there was also fun stuff to do in at the Irish Poker Open that we don't necessarily have at the EPT stop. So I, I already told you guys. Uh, you know, I played the Hendon Mob Championship. We went over this on the last episode. I got done because I was a bounty. But the following night, the night we spoke to Finton uh, after we recorded that episode, was the Finton Hand Meetup game, and that was also a lot of fun. It was like um, it was a free roll, so it was obviously sold out. They squeezed me in last minute. I was very appreciative of that. Uh, there are a lot of familiar faces, the people you would expect to be at a Finton Hand Meetup game. Folks like Tonka, um, uh, Spraggy was there, uh, and a few. But there are a few people who had literally never played live poker before, uh, not including Finton's wife Hannah. Uh, I met a fellow named Jamie who had never played live poker before. I met another guy who's clearly a very talented poker player, but had never played live before. And I think these sorts of events are really important for that reason. It's intimidating to go to a poker room. I know we talk a lot about. Um, trying to make poker more fun and welcoming for for men and women both. Um, and so an event like this, I think, is just really, really important that people get to go play live poker with familiar faces, with people who go, hey, like we know that he like kind of did a string raise there. 
Now, to be fair, the tournament staff, they they really have to run things as well as they can uh, and stick to the rules as much as possible. But at least if you're going to make those mistakes, you make them at a table where everyone goes, it's okay, don't worry about it. Uh, you know, we, we all make mistakes. Just to fast forward very quickly, in the main event, there were a few players who made some mistakes, for example, about only putting out one chip without saying anything and clearly calling when they meant to raise. And in some instances, the dealers let them get away with it explaining that what they needed to do next time. And I have no problem with that. If someone doesn't know that rule and makes a mistake, I think it's fair that you basically explain what they did is wrong, say yeah. it will be allowed on this occasion because you didn't know any better, but please understand that from now on that rule will be enforced. You've got to give people a chance and you've got to appreciate that not everyone is up to speed on every little single piece of poker etiquette. I have no problem with that either. I guess I just sort of like backtracked a little bit because I wouldn't want to get a dealer in trouble for sort of bending the rules for a first time. I don't know how hard the rules are for the dealers. You know what I mean? Like, I don't sure, know how. Of course. Of course. So that's all. So, yes, of course, I, personally, I have no issue with it. And on that subject, I know Finton said he had to kind of really petition to be allowed to deal the final table of his own event because I don't think they were necessarily aware that Finton used to work as a poker dealer. So does know what he's doing. Yes, and he's, his entire posture changed when he got in the box. It was really cool to see. Like, he, he got all, like, upright and was pitching cards, and it was clear that he had dealt before, like, within five seconds of him sitting down. Speaking of rules, I did. I got stung. Um, I got stung with a first card off the deck ruling. I'm and, very surprised, uh, by the way, that this rule was actually in place because I remember so clearly when it was a thing. And we're going back nearly 10 years now. And there was a lot of opposition. And after, I would say, an experimental phase of maybe 12 to 18 months, pretty much every single live poker event has gone back to when the last card hits the button. And the key thing I want is uniformity, right? I just want yeah. everywhere to be aligned. So it is slightly annoying that different events still have different rules. I mean, I want them to be aligned with the right rule, and first card off the deck is pretty ridiculous. I don't really... What was funny was that, like, it was clearly an event where I'm there as an ambassador, so I'm, like, going between tables to, like, to like say hello and hang out with people, and then to come back as the second card is hitting my, is hitting my stack, and the dealer's like, I'm sorry, I gotta take this. A, obviously, I was shocked because it was the first I've heard of the first card off the deck rule in a while, and B, but I was like, but, but come on. <laughs> it was, like, one of the only times between the sort of event that it was and me being like an ambassador and obviously I would never freak out but I was like well if anyone's going to get some special treatment it should be me here but I, nope they stuck to the rule <laughs> just to be clear I don't personally have a problem with first card off the deck and never did as I said for me it's about uniformity it's about poker tours card rooms the poker world having a consistent rule that would be great if wherever you went to play poker in the world it was the same so uh, so as we're getting to the nitty-gritty in this event, we get down to uh, the final 13 players. Average stack is probably like eight big blinds or something. I don't know, maybe 12 uh, if I'm being generous. And everyone proposes that we pay the bubble, that we take 100. So it's the min cash, I think, is like 200, uh, that we take 150 off the top and pay the bubble. I don't really like doing this anymore. This was something I loved doing when I first started playing poker. Um, it's not my favorite thing to do anymore, but I didn't mind if, if it was like important to everyone else. Again, I'm just like, I, I just want to go along to get along. I'm not here to like maximize my EV, right? Sure, I'm here sure. because I want to have fun with the community. So what happened was there was a pretty, a pretty strict uh, floor person that was in charge of our event. 
And he was like constantly clearing the rail. He was making everyone stand like a table away. Again, if it's the rule, it's the rule. It's fine. It seemed like, oh, well, I wish that they would have bent the rules for us a little bit, given what sort of game it was. But he was running a pretty tight ship. So he goes, all right, does everyone agree? It's two tables, right? It's like a table of seven, table of six. Does everyone agree on the deal? Does anyone object? No one says anything. No one says anything. No one says anything. And then Spraggy goes, I object. And the and the the floorman goes, okay, deal on. And Spraggy's like, you mean deal no, no, off? No. What what's that? No, no, no sorry, D- deal deal the hands. Oh, okay, sorry. De- so carry on playing. Carry on, like yeah, deal. And, Dealers uh, deal. And was Spraggy genuinely objecting, or was this a bit? It was a bit, and so he immediately you can't tried make jokes in those situations. <laughs> I totally agree. And so he tried to walk it back, and so the dealers held up, and the floor looked at them, and he goes, I said deal. And wow. so then the so the dealers started dealing. Hannah ends up going broke on that hand in 13th place. Thanks, Braggy. No, we paid her anyway. That we we just did the we did, we did, we kept the deal as it was. Um I ended up finishing in 10th place just bubbling the final table. I ran uh small to big blind. I ran ace 4 into a ace king. Which, of course, um, you know, yeah, blockers you are real. You, 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 and don't all wanna, that. you don't want to do that when they've got Ace King, Joe. No, I don't. But the good news is this I didn't need to win that event. I, it's better for other people in the community to go deep. I don't remember who actually ended up winning it, but uh, it was fun. I got a little min cash. It paid for my Guinness for the week, which was really cool. Um, but the worst part is at, right afterward, I got Griffined. Okay, you're going to have to explain what getting griffined actually okay. means. So getting griffined is, I'll tell you what the specific one is, but getting griffined is like you become friends with Griffin and then Griffin's like does acts like a bozo and you end up being part of the bozo club because of him. So it's uh, it's after the meetup game. I'm in the players lounge, which was awesome, by the way, at the, at the Irish Open. Really cool players lounge with a bar in it, music, games. Uh, it happened to be James that our, some of our bosses were there that night. So I'm hanging out with the bosses and I'm hanging out with Spraggy and I'm hanging out with Griffin. And, you know, I'm like, dude, I'm so tired. Um, you know, part of the reason I asked to come early is so that I could get some rest. It's like 1030 at night. I, I'm exhausted. I just want to get out of here. And Griffin's like, yeah, that sounds good. Like, let's go order some food and like just just have it be like a chill, a chill night because people were ramping up for it to be a big one in Dublin, right? Like, it was like quarter to 11. Everyone's like, well, where are we going next? And I was like, uh-uh. The next stop for me is a hotel room. So we go to my hotel room, and Griffin's like, I don't want any food. I- I'm good. I just ate. Now, I know. Bullshit. I know that most human beings. Bullshit. You order food, it's going to get eaten by Griffin Benja. 100%. Right. By, by mortal, by, by non-bozo human beings, <laughs> it's going to be eaten. By the way, Griffin's not a bozo all the time, just sometimes. So... Um, by regular people, they're going to go, I don't really want anything, and you know they're going to eat something. So I order nachos, I order fries, I get myself a burger, and I order, um, or was one other thing, uh, 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 let's just say it was a, a pizza. Um, so I'm like, there's plenty of food. Oh, it was a salad. Sorry, the other thing was a salad. It's like, there's plenty of food here um, for Griffin to pick out. I don't mind if he shares my nachos. I don't mind if he shares my fries. So eventually the food arrives. I go down to pick it up and the delivery guy has got two different people's orders. And he goes, uh, this one's yours. And he gives me mine. And the other two lads come down and he gives them theirs. And he tries to give them my sodas. And I'm like, no, 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 those, those are mine. I ordered sodas and a milkshake. Uh-huh, milkshake. That was the other thing. So he goes, oh, yeah, sure. No problem. Boop. And I get back to my room and I open up the food and You've I open up the, the fries. Order. 
it's plain fries. I'm like, oh, I thought I heard cheese curry fries. I open up the burger. I'm like, that looks right. And then instead of nachos and a salad, there's two orders of wings. Do so you like, have any way of contacting the pe- the other people who are staying in the same hotel, right? Same hotel, right? So the uh, first thing I do is I call down the front desk and I go, hey, I just ordered some food. I got the wrong food. If the other people call, can you just tell them I've got their food? That seems like the most logical thing to do, right? Call the front desk. The other people might call the Please front desk. Please tell me that you don't then put the phone down, turn around and see Griffin with his face in the bag. Not quite. So I put the phone down. And so the front desk, I didn't really like their answer either. They're like, you got to call the delivery service. And I was like, okay, fine. So I the delivery service. Funny. I, don't, I, don't, I don't really think it's the hotel's problem. Um, I mean, if the other people call the front desk, hopefully they can connect you guys. But I'm with the hotel. This is on the delivery service. It's to not resolve. the hotel's problem, but the hotel should be wanting to fix problems for their customers. Um, so, so anyway... Unfortunately, I used an app, okay? So did you, you got to go through the app, and then you tell the app, hey, I have the wrong order. I was thinking they would just, like, give me a phone number. They don't. They make you take a picture of the food, uh, and then you sit there and wait. And so at this point, after I do that, Griffin's like, we're, we're, those guys aren't coming back. We're, we're never going to hear from them again. We should eat this food. Oh, no, no, no. And I'm like, no, Griffin, please, no. We can't. This is not, no. We're going to, as soon as we start eating it, I'm going to get a call. They're going to be downstairs with our food. No, I'm not going to do it. And he's like, Joe, seriously, they're not coming back. Like, there's not coming. We just got to eat this food. How long did he wait before he started eating the food? Three minutes. Oh, come on, dude. You got to wait at least 10. Five minutes maximum. No way it was 10. And so then he starts eating the food. I'm like, all right, fine. Well, I guess I'm going to start eating the food. Ring, ring. Ring, ring. Ring, ring. Absolutely. My fucking cell phone rings. It's the delivery. It's It's the restaurant. And they're like, hey, the other guys with your food are down in the lobby. Can you go down and swap with them? Oh, and I'm like, no. I'm like, God damn it, Griffin. Jesus fucking Christ. I told you. I told you. Now what are we going to do? The other guys haven't eaten our food. What are we going to do? And he goes, so now he's like, he's like trying to like shake up the fries no, to make it look, no, to make it look like we haven't eaten here. You've got to be honest here. He's like, he's like wiping. He's like taking the chicken bones like out of the thing. And I go downstairs and I go, look, guys, I- I'm not going to lie to you. I- I- you say you haven't eaten our food. That's really nice. I'm sorry. My idiot friend, my idiot friend said we were never going to hear from you and I didn't want to do it. And I'm sorry. It's my fault. I did. I did listen eventually. I did go along, but I'm so sorry. We did eat some of your chicken wings. I'm really, really I left out the part about the fries. I We did eat some of your chicken wings. I'm so sorry. Do you want some of our food? They're like, no, it's fine. Don't worry about it. And the whole rest of the night, I'm like thinking to myself how bad I feel that I ate those dudes' food and they didn't eat ours. So now we're in the room and we're eating. And Griffin, who didn't want any food, has now eaten my – he's eating my food, has eaten two other people's food. So now he's eating three people's food. <laughs> this is so Griffin. And then he's eating the nachos and he knows, he thinks I don't see this. But out of the corner of my eye, I goes to put a nacho in his mouth and a big fat glob of guacamole goes splat right on my mattress. Now, I'm an expert hotel disgusting pig, okay? I get a big towel. I get a big bath towel. Put all the food on the bath towel. Somehow this dude misses a gigantic bath towel and gets guacamole directly on my comforter. And then I see him. James, how do you clean up guacamole? Well, off, got to, of the, off of the bed. You've got, to, you've got to basically scoop up the mess first and That's then right. try and you, wash out what's left. You grab and dab. Grab you and grab dab. That's and it. Dab. That's the expression. Do you know what he did? No, he just he just mushed, right? Smush and push. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> just smush and push. So what was like a dime-sized glob of guacamole on my bedspread was like a fucking 
a, a UK 50 cent piece by the time he was done with it. Just a massive oh, green Griffin. stain on my mattress. And then the coup de gras, the coup de gras, which I don't even, I, I can't say this happened again because it was like in my peripheral because I couldn't watch him, right? I, 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 I couldn't watch him, but I couldn't look away. I swear that when he went to eat some of my salad, he picked, there were two like sort of wooden forks. They use like wooden cutlery um, over in Ireland, which I appreciate. It's like not as bad as plastic. I swear before he stuck it in the salad, he put it in his mouth first. I think you may just be imagining stuff now because you just see him. I don't as know this what motion that was. He went up to his mouth like a, like, a, like he had a, like he had a, like I get it. He's going to eat out of my salad eventually. Wow. We're swapping spit anyway, but he didn't have to go first. With the fork into his <sighs> mouth. So I didn't mind bubbling the final table nearly as much I as I was irritated getting griffined over the food. And the whole night, I just laid awake in bed. We watched one episode of a show, and he was like, uh, you want to watch another one? I was like, no! Leave my room. Get Go. Out. Get out of here. <laughs> well, obviously, the next day I arrived, and I know that we had hoped to play. There was a, a flutter staff tournament as part of the Irish Open, and we had kind of hoped to take part in that, but rehearsals were running late. Had to get everything ready for the live stream the next day. And I guess I felt the pressure because I knew I wasn't going to be with you guys, right? Because I was going to be playing day yeah. 1C. Yeah. And that meant I just wanted everything to be in a good place, knowing that I couldn't be behind the curtain with the team for the start of transmission. Um, so, yeah. Come yeah, and I didn't event. really I didn't really think about that, you know, when when planning this for you is that James, you know, has a lot more responsibilities than just doing commentary. If it were me playing the event, it'd be like, okay, well, we have to replace Joe on comms, but like you don't have to replace me as like a decision maker behind the scenes. If anything, it'll probably be helpful to not have me there. Whereas James, everyone like runs everything past James editorially. Anything that's like gonna happen, like what table do we pick? Uh, you know, who should we have on guest comms? And I realized all of us realized a little too late that like James is not gonna be available to answer any of these questions, especially if he's playing on the feature table because he's gonna be 30 minutes in the past and not gonna have his phone. Maybe that's why I enjoy being on the feature table so much because I didn't have to worry about any of that <laughs> shit. Um, it could be. I mean, as you know, I was kind of semi-dreading it, but actually it was fine. And I think, as I keep saying, it's because I had a good table. I enjoyed speaking to everyone there. And two things. The audience seemed to be very nice. I didn't get any... I didn't see anyone being particularly negative. All yeah, the comments that I received on Twitter down the line and all of the live comments I saw on Twitch and YouTube were pretty supportive. Probably aided and abetted by the fact that for as long as I was on that stage... Um, I didn't make any huge mistakes. I didn't play anything egregiously bad. I didn't have a lot of big decisions, to be honest, because I wasn't yeah. exactly running pure. Um, but I think. Wait a second! No, no, no! You ran really good. Um, you, you didn't have any like spots that were tough decisions. I think mostly because you either smashed the flop or did not smash the flop. That's true. Um, I guess what I'm saying is that I didn't get too many premium starting hands. Um, but yes, it was. Look, it, it played very much like a day one should play. Absolutely, like, you absolutely. know, you're just everyone's just kind of trading chips back and forth a little bit. I kind of feel it was good to kind of have that as the sort of starter if you like, and then get into the tournament proper with Steve O'Dwyer then coming to the feature table as the reigning champion. I didn't yeah. want it to be about me, and I didn't want it to be a distraction from the fact that this is a prestigious tournament and a prestigious title to win. But ultimately, you didn't have to worry about me because three bullets, three pretty brutal bust-outs. Um, there is one hand I want to talk about. Actually, there's oh, two cool. hands I want to talk about, Joe. Sure. Um, you know, losing with aces, losing with a set, standard. Uh, it hurt, and I'm still feeling it. These are the cut hands I want to talk about. So 
the table I was originally at, the one that most people saw on the live stream with yeah. Ben Vinson and Della from Oklahoma, Mitch Johnson, who is quite an accomplished UK pro, gets moved to that table. Oof. And I played two hands in a row against Mitch Johnson. These are back-to-back hands. So blinds are 100-300, 300 big blind ante. Poker News reported on both of these, by the way, so I can get the information correct. So Mitch Johnson opens an early position. I'm not going to tell you what I have here because I want you to try and guess my hand. Johnson. I'm on the button and I three bet to 2K. Johnson, the original raiser, then responds with a four bet to 5,300. I think okay. for some time and call. The flop is king 8-7 with two diamonds and Johnson C bets for just shy of 3K. I think about it a little bit longer and then I fold. What is my hand? <sighs> Let's see. I don't. There's. I think there's a pretty narrow range of hands that you can uh, call the 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 I, final pre-flop bet I, and then fold to a, a C bet that small. And by the way, retrospectively, I wish I'd flattered the button rather than three betting. And maybe, maybe I could have folded to the four bet. It's a hand, Joe, which we talk about incessantly. Ace, it's it's got to be ace queen suited. No, it's 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 jacks. Oh, jacks! You folded the jacks to one bet on the flop. I did, and I think that that might be probably too tight. But the problem I had is by this stage, I'm now dropping around the fifty big blind mark, and I kind of wanted to conserve my chips and to use that well-worn cliche, wait for a better spot. I think it probably was too tight. Number one, as I said, maybe flatting pre is better in position. Um, if you are going to call the four bet pre, you're right. Folding to a single bet on a king high flop feels weak. Oh, king high flop. Sorry, I, I, I misunderstood. I thought it was an eight high flop. King eight seven. Okay, never mind. I think folding, yeah, I think folding jacks there is totally fine. Um, but clearly, this then informs the next hand because part of me is then thinking... Am I being targeted? Does Mitch Johnson see me, not unjustifiably, as the spot at the table? And is he basically making moves against me? So the very, very next hand, or maybe it was a couple of hands later, um, I have seven six of hearts in mid position. And I start the hand, as I said, with around 50 bigs. Blinds are still uh, 100, 300, and I've got about 15k at the start of the hand. So I make a standard raise probably to 700. And I get three callers from the cutoff, the small blind, Mitch Johnson, and the big blind. The flop is queen 6-3 with two spades. So I have second pair. I decide to check it. The blinds mm. check, I check, cutoff checks behind. We go to the turn. And the turn is the six of clubs. So I've now improved to trips. But also, it has put two flush draws out there. So I'm happy with my hand, but I feel it probably needs to be defended, that now's the time to get value. Mitch Johnson checks in the small blind. The big blind now leads for 1,500. And I don't Weird. think this is a spot where I should just call because it's now a draw-heavy board. So I decide to raise. And again, we can debate raise sizing. I pick up a single green 5K chip, and I say the word four meaning raise to 4,000 and put the yeah. chip out. Everyone who is my side of the table hears the word four. Everyone who is the other side of the table, including the dealer, hears the word call. Cutoff folds. Mitch Johnson now goes to put in a raise, but his raise size is wrong because he thinks that my bet was a call. 
but it wasn't. It was a re-raise. And it's pointed out to him by Ben Vinson that, no, 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 you haven't raised enough. And even though the dealer heard the word call, she concedes, because I have the backing of all the players on my side of the table, that it was a raise to 4,000. So now Mitch Johnson is forced to raise the minimum. Mm-hmm. The big blind, who is the original better, folds. It's back on me with the last two players in the hand. I now decide to go for it. I move all in. And what informs that decision is the fact that I think that this is Mitch taking advantage of the fact that I've just called. He thinks I'm weak. He is, again, targeting me with the squeeze. He snap calls my all in and tables threes. He flopped a set and he turned a full house. I do not improve on the river. That bullet is gone. Now, the irony is with all of the controversy about call four, I don't think it really changes anything because I think my hand's too strong playing 50 bigs effective at the start of the hand. I don't think I am getting away from trips. Although, if it goes bet, raise, three bet, maybe I start to think about what he could have. Maybe I do start to worry a little bit about whether my six is good. Let's roll it back a little bit. I got a couple of things to say. Yeah. Um, One is that, so I have a little bit more experience playing these sorts of buying events than you do at this point, right? Like over the last year, year and a half, I've I've played my fair share of like 500, 1Ks, stuff like that. People aren't targeting you as much as you think they are. And I don't mean you specifically. I mean a person. I, don't, I would say that the two most proficient players at my table were Ben Vinson and Mitch Johnson. And I think they were absolutely taking advantage as they should I still disagree at the table who they yes. think are less proficient than them that's fine and they probably are not but me but, personally Joe right no that's fa- what I mean is when I when I'm talking about you or me specifically no there I don't think they're targeting you in that situation oh, as no, much no, no, as no. you I think they are I don't have that ego I think they're going after players who they don't think are as good as they are and I would put myself into that category But there are way other better candidates for that at your table I promise you that most of the time you think am I being outplayed here yes you maybe are some of the time it's just not as much as you think like they're they're really playing pretty straightforward on day ones um I'm not saying that entirely. I just think that it's like a little... I don't think you should give that as much credit as you did in that moment. Either of those moments. I think Mitch probably had a pretty good hand. Uh, the previous hand also. Maybe didn't have ace-king. Maybe did bluff you off jacks. But like, I don't think he had like jack-four offsuit. Um, you know, the worst hand he's going to have in that situation is like a suited ace or something. Uh, you know, a big suited ace. So that's my one. My second is that, and I don't think you're going to like to hear this, is that I don't think that you need to be raising 7-6 suited at this stage of the tournament. You have 50 big blinds. You're not particularly card dead. It's a really slow structure. You just end up getting yourself into really weird situations, um, especially in, in, in what ended up happening is when you I, your rationale for raising um, with trips there it makes sense, but also it's really hard to get paid by anything that you're beating. At that point. Yeah, that's, um, that's a valid point. Um, I mean, obviously, I discussed the hand with a number of people, including Griffin and Nick, and both seemed okay with the open with 7-6 suited. But I don't disagree with you, Joe, in that probably I can just wait. I, I was getting a bit frustrated. I was getting a bit bored. Um, sure. It's the classic cliche, folding is boring. And totally. that probably was a mistake. Um, Absolutely. But obviously, I learned from that mistake because on bullet number two and bullet number three, I played incredibly tight. 
Yeah. On the second bullet, I played two hands. I played ace, king, and aces. One with one, lost with the other. And on my third bullet, I basically only played, again, two or three hands, and they were all monsters. But, you know, it's... So the lesson was learned from that, shall we say. Yeah, and I anyway, think, like... To, to give it the to give it the old as played right like as like there are definitely aspects of it that are that all make perfectly good sense but I would you know those are just two things especially that if you think that you're being targeted for being a weaker player then just play stronger hands you're probably probably right anyway as I said ultimately everyone got the free roll on the first day because I'd made what I call the lunch break and of course because PokerStars very kindly came to my rescue with a third unplanned bullet they got their free roll on the Saturday as well uh, for me making day two so let's focus on the people who actually did go deep Joe let's talk about the players who we were following on their way to the final table of this event I have to shout out Benny Glaser because he started the Irish Open with a 5K win. He won the high roller event and then he makes the final two tables of the main. Yeah, it was really funny because Benny um, was playing the 5K high roller. They were on the bubble when Finton's meetup game was happening and Benny kept getting up over his seat to out of his seat to sweat us. He like clearly had FOMO that he wasn't playing in the Finton hand meetup game and he was like, salivating that he wasn't having fun like with the rest of us and then he goes on to win that thing the dude really is an animal like i don't know how to describe it but he is good and then he ends up going mega mega deep in the main event also yeah. what was it 14th and it was like a pretty heartbreaking no, it's 14th. 10th place 10th sorry it was 10th, 10th place. place he just missed out on the final nine um of course to see andy black uh, someone who I remember very well from the 2005 World Series of Poker. I mean, that's nearly 20 years ago now. To see Andy Black back at a final table was quite extraordinary. And if you want to talk about Irish poker legends, they don't really come much bigger than Andy. Yeah, and obviously Andy ended up being a bit of a polarizing figure with some of the stuff he was saying on the air. I think, understandably, he got some criticism from the audience and from, you know, I know Griffin, for example, um, wasn't really that big of a fan of Andy's antics. I could take it or leave it. I totally understand people not liking some of the stuff he says. Personally, it doesn't offend me, but it can be. he can be a little cantankerous sometimes. Um, yeah. However, that's what you want, right? A lot of people want that, and for... An outspoken Irish dude, legend of Irish poker, to go that deep in the main event, you really couldn't ask for anything better except for maybe like a poor Parkinson. So that was pretty cool. And there were other Irish folks who may went deep in I, that thing. I think the best story of them all was Declan Rice, uh, the eventual runner-up, because this guy wasn't even meant to play the main event, right? He was looking for a cash game, couldn't get a table, so just ends up playing a satellite, gets his seat, makes it all the way to the final table. Now, Declan is someone who I know really struggled with the long days. Yeah. Uh, day three, Sunday, went until 3 a.m. And then we had to come back on the final day with 16 players and play a 12-hour day. And just to be clear, this is not me complaining about our lives. It's tough for the players. It's tough for the tournament staff. And this is what happens when your event is successful. Two and a half thousand entries in yeah. a tournament that's meant to be played out over four days. And I guess they're going to have to look at the schedule. They are going to have to look at the structure next year. Because if this does get bigger, if you're looking at a three million euro prize pool next year, you're going to have to do something. Because you can't be going till 5am every day. 
Yeah, and you know, I know that people are going to be going to 5 a.m. anyway, right? Not playing in the event because people like to stay up and drink and play cash and stuff like that afterwards. So if you're going to 5 in the event and then, you know, it takes a minute to wind down and all that, it's, it does make for some pretty weird long days. I do want to... Um, to, to sing the praises in a few different ways for the Irish Open really quick, being that it was my first one. As far as the way that everything ran outside of the tournament, um, b- bathrooms, beer, coffee, food, all of it super quick, super efficient. We're used to like, you know, waiting in long lines when there's like a dinner break because there's not a lot of options. Now, granted, there, there was food trucks. So if you're like, Looking for a healthy meal, there weren't a ton of options. But, man, you went outside. You said, I'd like a burger and fries. That shit was served up in under five minutes. Um, plenty of spaces for people to eat. No real rules anywhere. You can't bring food here, bring food there. Nope. You, there, if, you wanted, if you wanted a beer, you wanted a coffee, all of it ran really smoothly. Registration, cash out, all of that. It was a really cool room, a really nice aesthetic. Um, it overall had a great vibe and great feel and, and, and was exactly what people had promised me when it came to the Irish Open. So he referenced that Declan Rice was the runner-up. Of course, the final table was taken down by David Doherty, who said no to a deal, um, was saved heads up by a chop pot, and we'll talk to him about that in just a moment. In fact, let's talk to him about the experience of playing the Irish Open. Let's talk to him about his win. Uh, Irish Open 2023 main event champion David Doherty, Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me on, guys. Hey, buddy. Yours is a name that gets spoken about a lot. I know you've had success before. I know you've been on the circuit for a number of years. And I recently saw your name on the list of people who qualified for our Platinum Pass contest. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I saw the I saw on the PokerStars Discord that um, that, that giveaway was, was happening. And uh I was one of the 50 people on the list, but a C4 beat me to it, unfortunately. <laughs> Believe me, no one was as surprised as we were uh, to see a CFO win yet another thing <laughs> from PokerStars. Yeah. I'm sure he'll still be complaining about it, though. Uh, he'll want to win I, next year again. <laughs> a CFO complain about something? Never. Um, <laughs> obviously, we can see numerous trophies behind you, David. What is your poker origin story? I mean, how long have you been playing for? And just to give us an idea of uh, of some of the, the events you've played and the stuff you've won in the past. Um, I think I started playing when I was in university, around 2008 or something. Um, maybe maybe a little earlier than that. But uh, I just played pretty, you know, recreationally at the start. Uh, you know, while I was doing my studies, I was doing computer science. And, you know, I didn't really play for any serious money until, yeah, probably 2008. I then um, lockboxed my way into a World Series main event seat. Uh, I, I just turned 21 on April the 7th. Um, it would have been 2008. Oh, shit. Happy uh, birthday, dude. Did you have your birthday during the Irish Open also then? I did, yeah. I deliberately played day 1B so that I would have my birthday off if I bagged up. And then wow. I bagged the chip lead. So what a birthday yeah. present. Birthday off. Yeah. Yeah, Dude, your birthday awesome, is lucky yeah. as shit for poker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's uh it's happened before, like I had my birthday during a tournament. And I actually, funnily enough, I did final table a tournament before when my birthday happened during the tournament as well. So maybe I should uh just play always every year. play poker on your birthday. There is clearly always, something to this. It's yeah. always coming April seventh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um yeah, I'll need to keep an eye on the calendar years to come. But, All right, so you yeah. win a main event seat after just after your twenty first birthday. Yep, 
um, like five days after it or something. So I've never played cards in a casino before. I've played online a few times, obviously more than a few times. So I'm playing World Series main event satellites, right? But um, yeah, I've never played in a casino before. So I now have this mad rush um, with three months to go until the tournament to try and, you know, find a game that I can get some live experience in so that I'm not, you know, standing out like a sore thumb on the on the main event stage. And I play some £10 games in my local snooker club for like three months before I go and play the WSOP main. And that's like my introduction to, to poker there. Um, I then, you know, got the, the live bug and was just playing satellites for basically anything that I could qualify for because I just loved live poker so much. And I got to the Aussie Millions in 2009 wow. and had a deep run there, got like 31st in that. Um, but yeah, and that that was like my biggest score by far at that point. I'd maybe had like a couple of, you know, 5K, maybe even a 10K score online or something, but I got Aussie 30K Millions for that a, one. Was it a 5K back then or a 10K? It's a big yeah. one, right? Yeah, it was a 10K. It was 2 million up top. Shit. Wow. Yeah. So it was huge. Like I was only, I was only 21 or 22 at that point and... Yeah, it was a it was a huge uh, huge sweat for me, but I did think how in terms of how quickly I I sort of rose up like rapidly I rose up I was I was like banging scores off left right and center online I was having like all of a sudden this deep run in a ten k and being a twenty one year old kid I was like you know what this game's like kind of easy like this is always going to be like this I'm just gonna yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna be running deep in ten k's all the time and then. You know, that, that Aussie Millions run haunted me for a long time because I, I busted it basically making a huge bluff against the Nate Obristad and running uh. a flush. And at the time I was like, yeah, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be back here, it's fine. And then I didn't have like a run like that in a major tournament for so, so, so long afterwards. Um but yeah, I've been playing to answer the question fully, I've I've been asking I've been playing fifteen years. Wow. Um, there or thereabouts. And I think it's only really in the last few years, you know, like the sort of middle portion of my, my career was very hit and miss. And I did consider dropping out of the game a couple of times. But um, yeah, the last few years post post COVID, like the pandemic is probably the best thing that happened to me. So it just locked me in the house and forced me to play constantly and just study more. And right. Yeah, I've just come out I, the other I've side of it. Ton of questions. One, if we could roll back a little bit, did you uh, end up finishing your computer science degree? I didn't know. I dropped out in uh, third year um, because I was making too much at poker. <laughs> do you think that it's something that you uh, eventually, first of all, do you feel like you have a good basis of knowledge in computer science without the degree? Like, could you work in the fields? Um, you know, it, let's say that no one cared about your degree. Like, are you good enough? Yeah. I've, I've got some skill sets. Um, I think there's certain jobs that I would definitely excel at. And actually, I did apply um, in one of those moments where I was like thinking of dropping out of poker. I did apply for, for a QA position at a major poker site um, because, you know, obviously they're going to be more cognizant of having a huge CV career gap, you know. Um, right. And I, and I had like so obviously knowledge of the industry, so that would go yeah. very well. Um, with that, but yeah, I, th I think I think I would get along. But I mean, I wouldn't try and get a, you know, even even if it wasn't going well, I don't think I'd try and get a job in the industry now because ChatGPT would just um, you know, make me unemployed pretty quickly. I think. Right. Yeah. There's been some recent developments that kind of have uh, <laughs> yeah. changed things a bit in computer science. I guess the other question that I had is during any of that time, the what do you want to call it, downswing or just not quite as being hot as the rest of the time? Did you work any other? 
jobs besides poker or you were still able to make ends meet as a professional poker player the whole time? Yeah, I was still able to make enough to get by, but it was it was very frustrating at the point where like, I, I felt I was able to compete at a much higher level than I was playing at. And there were times where I was, you know, grinding a a ten or twenty dollar ABI online and I thought I, I should have been much higher than that, but I just sure. couldn't because of bankroll or whatever. Uh couldn't get the breakthrough to to settle me down. Um did get backed a couple of times, but not to the degree that allowed me to you know, play what I'm currently playing. So one of my good friends, Jack Hardcastle, won a like won a lot of money during like COVID, post-COVID and stuff as well, had a lot of big scores. And he sort of helped me to get into like more volume in the live arena. So he's been a big contributor to my breakout as well because you know he's just been able to back me for um for so long now. Uh yeah, in like five what, days and so on. So it's really what really are nice. your bankroll management rules for yourself? Um, <laughs> I'm going to have to ask myself that question again soon. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, no, like, were I, you I playing ABIs of $20 because that's all you had? Or you had the discipline to be like, okay, I have a 5K bankroll and I should only be playing $20 ABI? Yeah, it was a bit of both, honestly, Joe. Um, I did have uh, no bankroll management in my early career. I just didn't know what it was, to be honest. Sure. Um, and it's a very different time. That might sound really you know, fishy to, to a, a young buddy. No, it nowadays. was, it was um, easier. <laughs> yeah. But it was, um, you know, I, I actually like, I got, um, very good, I would say at PLO back in the day. And it, like, I actually shied away from tournaments for a while and PLO cash games be became sort of my bread and butter for a while. I got a bit of coaching off a Canadian friend of mine and, um, was, but was playing like relatively high online there, but I hit a big downswing in PLO, um, and, you know, I just didn't really understand it at the time because there was no, you know, sims out there for, you know, showing what PLO variance was like. Um, I was just sitting in games and I knew I was the best player or one of the best players in the game. And I was like, well, we can't really lose here. Like, I'm just, you know, going to beat these, guy up, these guys up on a consistent basis. But, um, yeah, it just, uh, that hit me out of the blue and put a big dent in my role over the course of a series of months. Yeah, and that's when I started looking at the backing element of it. But, but yeah, like I I think I haven't had to ask myself about the bankroll management question for quite a while now, um, just because I have been getting backed in quite a lot of stuff. But I'm going to have that conversation with myself, as I say, very soon. Of course, so, um, of course. Yeah. <laughs> uh, before we talk about the Irish Open, I want to talk about the last time that we saw you, David, which was when you made the deep run in EPT London last yeah. October, and of course. A seventh place finish is great. I'm sure it was a decent payday, but also it is one of those so near yet so far moments and going out in seventh, missing out on coming back for the final day. How did you handle that at the time? Um, I think I've got very good at that in recent years. That would probably be one of the better things that I've improved at where I've realized because I've had so many near misses in the past, um, you know, I've had a lot of, you know, eighth place finishes on final tables, 12th place finishes, final two tables with a lot of money up top, even going back to the Aussie millions where, all right, it's 31st, but there's still 2 million up top and you're thinking about it, you know. I've got a, a lot better uh, at controlling my emotions in those situations. And London probably was difficult, but because I was chip leader um, going into day five, I was one of 16. Yeah. Um, so obviously you are thinking 
Mm. You know, I could win an EPT here. It's not beyond the realms of possibility that I could win it. But all the same, that was an incredibly tough field in in London. Um, I was proud to have ran so deep in it, but it wasn't totally unexpected that I didn't win because there were a lot of very strong players left. Um, and yeah, I didn't go into that day expecting to come out the, the other end of it as the chip leader or expecting to, you know, have stamped my authority on the tournament and, you know, have a good yeah. shot at winning. It's, I know it can go either way at that point. Um, so I, I actually was okay with it. And I was like very proud to have made my first EPT final table um, and played what I thought was some of my best poker over, over the course of the five days. David, um, your answer to that question and some of the way I've seen you conduct yourself at the table, like um, telling someone it's fine to celebrate, it's a big moment and really patiently explaining why you turned down a deal. And you really seem to have a, a, a nice, fair just sort of cool demeanor about you. And I just want to know, where does that come from? Do you think? Because, do you know, just the way you explain like, yeah, you know, I, I realize that I'm like, not a lot of poker players have that same sort of level headedness. They do at times, but yours seems yeah. to be like pretty consistent. I'm just wondering what, what about your life do you think makes you, makes you that way? I don't know. I'm sure if you asked my dad that same question, he wouldn't know either because he's he's the complete opposite of me. He says he, I was giving him a heart attack while he was watching the stream the other day. So um, <laughs> that could be uh, why. Maybe it's because your dad's a high strung guy that you're more chill out. Sometimes we go the other way. Yeah, yeah. It could just be an opposite thing, you know, like trying to trying to do you know what you what you interpret other people are doing wrong or whatever, just trying to fix it. Um, he's got he's got better at that over the years, but yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I mean, I've not always been like this. You know, I'm sure there's. There's been plenty of times where I've maybe busted a tournament and stormed off and just not taken it well. I remember one time when I was maybe early 20s as well, I was in the midst of a downswing and I just lost a really simple hand. I was playing a heads up sit and go for $50 and I just lost a really simple hand on the river and I just had enough and I picked my mouse up and threw it at the at the screen and cost myself like 400 or something because I had to replace the monitor. And I was like, you know, that was really stupid. So it's not something that's always been there. I've definitely okay. refined it over the years. Um, but I just, do, I do think it's really, really important to have a perspective when you're playing mass fields yeah. tournaments. You know, if I lost heads up to Declan in the Irish Open, sure, I wanted to win the tournament, but it was going to be nearly a quarter of a million. I'm not going to stand there and be like, oh man, I'm so disappointed. I'm so unlucky. I didn't win it. You know, I, I realized how, lucky I am to be doing this and you know like you you can't control the results of certain tournaments it's either going to fall for you or it isn't you can just play your best and you know see how it goes so um yeah I, th I think it's just I think it's just that understanding that um That's you can't great. really control everything well, let's not forget, David, that one of the reasons that you didn't lose heads up to Declan is because you were rescued by that three on the river. You were rescued yeah. by a chop pot and you then gave us what I think is probably the best <laughs> ever performance of the chop pot song we've ever had on stream because none of the commentators needed to get involved. We had one of the players sing it for us. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome, guys. Um, I did watch it. <laughs> I did watch your bike this morning and uh, I saw a lot of the Twitch chat giving me a 10 out of 10. So I appreciate that. Yeah, definitely deserved. I'm, I'm interested to know how it felt for you coming into that final table. Joe and I alluded to the fact that, you know, to get a tournament with two and a half thousand entries done in four days, you've got a 12 hour day one, a 12 hour day two, a day three that played until three in the morning. You guys are then back 10 hours later. Yeah down to 16 big money jumps it's all on the line now how were you feeling physically and mentally coming into that last day 
Well, I, I don't know if you, knew, uh, if you knew this as well, but I had recently been on holiday in Australia right before the tournament, and I arrived in Dublin on day one, be it 2 a.m. That is fucked. Yeah, having come <laughs> back from Australia. <laughs> so that added an extra, an extra bit of tiredness to it for me. Wow. Um, but yeah, I've uh, I've just got a lot of you know live experience. I've learned how to pace myself in those situations. And, you know, I, I can... I can think back to one random hand in a in a UK IPT London back in the day where it was like a 14-hour day one or something. I think they played to the money. And I made a really bad blunder, like at hour 13 or something. And I realized immediately afterwards it was because I was tired. So mm. um in in the future, in those spots, I've just tried to keep asking myself whether I feel tired, whether I feel drained, whether whether my mind's like not working properly. And if it isn't, I try and, you know, sit back a little bit and, and and take more simplistic decisions. You know, I won't get into like the, you know, the pre-flop raising wars or the, you know, the the, the flop floats as, as much or whatever, you know, the, the ones that are going to really drain the energy out of you. So I try and play it a little more simple if, if that happens, but it is difficult to do. Of course. And, it, it, you know, you really just have to take care of yourself as much as you can. I was, well, I was eating... My friend got me some bananas and energy bars from the from the shop down the road. I was eating them during the day. I was making sure I was topped up on water and stuff. So smart. You just have to do that. Yeah. I mean, I hope you're keeping notes. So always play on your birthday and always play when jet lagged. These clearly are two secrets. Yeah. He's saying the opposite. He's saying you, yeah. when you're jet lagged, maybe don't get too fancy. What? Eat your bananas. Eat your eat your power bars. Uh, and that was actually giving me my follow up question: Is how fancy can you play when the average stack is twenty big blinds and literally no one is really a firm favorite? Yeah, I mean. That was down to day three, I think, where you know we played a, a bit later, and then for some reason no one busted. Two, the hours, two hours with no one going yeah. out. You came back with sixteen players and like a twenty-one big blind average. Yeah, uh, it's pretty wild. I mean, I, I've got a, a good bit of satellite experience, so I'm more in tune with ICM than I think a lot of people maybe would have been on the final table. So I felt comfortable playing short stacks just because I've been in those spots quite a lot. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's you're you're quite right. I mean, it's like it's like I said, the, the tournament can go either way at that point. It's uh, that there is a skill edge there in how you play that stack, but the very nature of the stack being that you're going to be all in at some point. Quite often, you're forced to be all in. You know, there were a couple of spots where uh, I rejammed on Panos like quite late, uh, quite uh, quite light, and you know he was opening wide, but it's also quite easy for him to have a hand in those spots. And, you know, if he wakes up with a pair there and busts me, it's, you know, it just is what it is. Um, but yeah, there's, yeah, like you say, there's just a, there's a, a lucky element to it uh, uh, for sure when, um, yeah, when it's that shallow the FT. Uh, uh, that leads me to uh, a question I had during the week that you just reminded me of. So you knew Panos had been opening a little bit light. What is your sort of strategy for getting information from the stream? Are you totally closed off? Do you have someone watching for you? Are you watching on the breaks? How are you, um, you know, are you getting that information and what are you doing with it? Yeah, um, in the past, I've been on feature tables in the past or like final tables where they have been streamed and I can pick up information and so on. And I haven't bothered with it too much um, unless there's maybe a significant hand that I witness that doesn't go to showdown or maybe someone makes an interesting decision, you know, maybe a player that I wouldn't expect to opens off of 15 big blinds in late position and I want to know what they have, something like this, you know. Um, but in, in terms of the Irish Open, uh, 
I did come off the feature table at the end of the first break of the day and I, I got my phone and I, I, I looked at the group chat and some of the guys had been sending screenshots of some of the interesting hands to me. And when I scrolled through them, I was like, man, this is like incredibly important information. I'm seeing that Panos is opening like 5-3 offsuit in the cutoff. Um, yeah. You know, Declan had, had folded the, the, this was later in the day, but Declan had folded the King 9 to me when I checked, raised the threes and so on. Yeah. And I was like, this is really important information, guys. And I ran straight over to them. I was like, one of you needs to be on the rail here. If, if people are, you know, being so far out the, the scope of normal uh, like this, I need to know about it. It's really, really important. Hell yeah. So, yeah, like Panos in particular was was very wide in a lot of spots. So I was pretty comfortable with the the idea of busting bluffing against him because I just knew that he was going to have to fold quite a lot. What we need to know is what happened when the cameras stopped rolling. So you get the trophy, you get the 365k. We know you've got friends there to watch you win the Irish Open. Mm-hmm. What happened next on Monday night? Um, I phoned my mum. Oh, yeah. oh, come on. <laughs> This saw, guy. Yeah, I saw Joe calling me adorable when I watched it back as well earlier. So I just wanted to <laughs> re- reinforce that image, you know. Um, yeah, that really does. Story checks out. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, the guys were getting annoyed at me, actually, because uh, I had like two two interviews to do, um, getting a lot of photos taken and stuff. I was on the phone to my mom. I then had to get the payout sorted, and that took a little bit longer. And the guys were like, come on, David. So, you know, I don't know if I can swear on here or not. But you can, you can. I can, for fuck's sake, David, get into the get into the bar already, you know? So, yeah, I got in, I put my card behind the bar. Um, the guys had a good night, I think. So I just did a couple myself. I didn't want to, I was already too tired. I didn't want to, like, be comatose by the end yeah. of the night. So. I mean, is, is again, this... highlighting it was a late finish. This did not, like, conclude at 7 in the evening. It finished at, like, 1, one thirty in the morning. Yeah. By the time I got into the bar, it was, like, 3 a.m. So, oh, um, wow. Yeah, it took me a while uh, after the tournament finished to actually get on it, if you like. But um, yeah, we, we didn't get to, my, my roommate and I didn't get back to our room until like half five, six in the morning. So um, Very good. Yeah. A uh, couple of questions about the win, and you don't have to get into specifics if you're not comfortable, but okay. um, is this life-changing money for you? Is this, uh, you know, some people like, no, I only, I only got 80% of it anyway. Um, and wh- how many bullets were you in for? Yeah, that's all good. Um, I was in for two bullets, so I, I, I played uh, Satellites on Stars, and I thought I would win more than two tickets, but I had only, only one. Only two? Only two, because I was playing them every night, Joe. I was playing them every night. All right. Um, but no, I, I didn't play them all. Um, so I, I, I won two before I went on holiday to Australia, and then it was like a full month and a half or something of not being able to play them. So like, I, I had two bullets. I would have fired more if if those had expired and, and I hadn't done anything. But I won the tournament on my second bullet. And yeah, like, but Jack um, did have a, a good chunk of it. Um, I, I swapped 5% with Robbie Bull when we were both 15 bigs with 36 left. Cool. Um, but yeah, I, I still pocketed the vast majority of it. So um, yeah, it's it. Yeah, absolutely life changing money. Um, I'm just going to keep playing. I think it's uh, you know, it's not the only big score like that that I'm going to get in the next few years. I don't think so. Um, just going to keep cool. playing, keep working hard, and and hopefully be back in that spot again because it's like it's just a, an absolute buzz. I know, obviously, the money is huge and important, but. Those sort of moments are what you play for. Like just well, having all your friends in the rail, all your family watching at home. It's just unbelievable. I yeah. mean, look, w- winning a poker tournament is great, but when you win 
the longest running poker tournament in Europe. And, you know, as Phil Baker said, you become part of Irish folklore. You join the ranks of Steve O'Dwyer, Griffin Bencher, yep. all the previous champions of, of this prestigious event. It, it does mean something because that's never going to go away. Yeah, absolutely. My dad was saying he's been over to Vegas with me for the main event and he was saying he, he thinks they should turn it into, you know, the main event style at the Irish Open where they put the winner's posters all around the room now right. so that my face will just be on it forever. Did they have um, cameras for some of those early Irish Opens? I'm not even sure. I'm sure they could <laughs> find some photos on Google Image Search or like do an artist impression. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, no, it's, it's incredibly prestigious, obviously. Um, I was having a joke with uh, one of my friends, Owen Robinson, um, who I had a conversation with um, maybe about 10 years ago or something when we were in a bar. And we were, we were just having a discussion as to whether the Irish Open or a, a random EPT would be a more prestigious title to have. And him being Irish was very forceful that it was the Irish <laughs> Open. Um, I, I personally, back then, preferred to win an EPT, but I I think I might have changed my mind since uh, maybe 48 hours ago or something. Fine. <laughs> Alternatively, you could be greedy and win both because like Monte Carlo is less than a month away, David. So I don't know if you're planning yeah. on coming, but yeah, I think, I think I probably am going to come to Monte Carlo. I'm not convinced. I'm not like certain yet. I haven't got it all planned out, but um, yeah, I think I probably am going to come. And I did say that, uh, yeah, I, I think that's the best way to do it. It's the only way to scientifically solve the issue, right? I have to win an EPT now so that I can, you explain could, how you're, you're then in a position science. to judge yeah. we could always ask steve o'dwyer i mean which of the yeah. super high rollers high rollers ept main events irish opens that you've won steve means the most to you yeah i'm not sure he probably just kind of shrug his shoulders and walk away um <laughs> yeah. david hopefully we do see him on carlo if not i'm sure we will in barcelona um but yeah. great result congratulations once again and see you out there on the circuit soon Thanks, James, and thanks you guys for the, the coverage. It was awesome not just to win the tournament, but to have that, to be able to watch back with you guys covering it is just unbelievable. I've been a big fan of the, the, the podcast and you know you guys doing the streams for a long time, so it's really nice to be on. It was great for us too, honestly, so congrats again, pal. Thanks, Joe. Well, we are not done with all things Ireland because that is actually the subject of this week's Superfan Quiz. And of course, for that, we will need a Superfan. So say hello to Trish Howard. Hello, Trish. Hello, James. How are you? Good, thanks. Oh, man. I feel like in hearing that accent, I'm in big trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I only spent a week in I'm Ireland. I'm nervous. I'm nervous. Yeah, it seems like you may have spent more than a week in Ireland. Yeah. Born and bred, born and bred. So you've basically chosen your home country as your specialist subject to give you more than a home advantage, but a significant advantage over Mr. Stapleton. Uh, before we get to the quiz, Trish, tell us about yourself. Um, well, I'm a mother of two, a 10-year-old girl, 15-year-old boy. Um, just actually had an interview for a new job this morning, which I got, so I'll be starting as an airport security customs officer in hey, the next cool. few weeks. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, this, this could be the best day of your life, not only. A new job, but also defeating Joe and winning a Sunday Million ticket. I mean, wow. all your Christmases come at once. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, it's been a nerve-wracking day, I'm not going to lie. Like. <laughs> Yeah, this sounds like a very stressful day. Job interview, then like a weird podcast game show segment. <laughs> um, 
Are, is it going to be at Dublin Airport? Like, are we going to see you next time we fly in to do the Irish Open? In, in Cork, Cork Airport. Okay. Well, maybe a yeah. UK IPT in Cork eventually. That's where James's people are from. The land of the Hartigans. Really? Yep. The yeah. Hartigans come from Cork. Um, so, Trish, I know you had hoped to make an appearance at the Irish Open to say hello. I'm assuming that family commitments over Easter probably prevented you from making that trip. Uh, it was it was actually worse than that. I went to play a local game to get my money to go up there. I bubbled after eight hours. My aces got cracked with pocket fours on the river. I know what that feels yeah. like. I'm <laughs> yeah. sorry you didn't get you know. to come to Dublin, Trish, but it sounds like you do get to play a decent amount of poker. What is the poker scene like around you? Um, it's it's not great. Like That was only on because it was a bank holiday weekend. Right. So. Um, I have to travel to Cork City to to go play whenever I can afford it. To be honest, it's money more than family. Like it's just, it's expensive. Like you know. Well, it Trish, I, I'm sorry you don't have enough money to play as much poker as you'd like, but I'm also kind of glad that you are a responsible person who does put that money uh, toward your responsibilities before going to play poker, and yeah. we we appreciate that sort of uh, responsible responsible gaming and responsibility to your family. Uh, so. I, I don't mind that you have a huge advantage in this because hopefully we can uh, chuck a ticket your way when I embarrass myself here. Oh, it'll be amazing. It'll be amazing. Now, I do think that Joe probably stands a chance, and I'll tell you why. And this is not a criticism, <laughs> but obviously we've come back from a pretty brutal working weekend, Statric included, and obviously he's had to put this quiz together in record time. And I'm going to say that maybe the first two paragraphs on Wikipedia were probably the oh, main shit. source of a lot of these questions. So, well, good uh, news for you, Trish. I decided since I wasn't going to learn all of Ireland's history and cultural norms in like a 48-hour period, I didn't study at all. Phew, that's good, that's good. This is okay. embarrassing if I lose. <laughs> Actually, just scrolling down, there's some there's some solid questions here, but, you know, I think, Joe, you might be able to get some points here. I'd be very okay. surprised if at the end of this quiz you put up a zero. Uh, but, Trish, you get to go first, so please give me a number between one and ten. Uh, number four, please. Number four. Nice, easy one. Who is the lead singer of you 2 uh, Bono. That will be Bono for two points. And Joe, you're up. <laughs> well, that's Irish trivia. Uh, um, let's see. I'll take question number 10. Question number 10. The failure of which crop caused a famine in Ireland that killed more than a million people? This would be the... I, I, I cannot take the choices. This is the Irish potato famine. It is the potato. So there you go, dude. You got two points already, and it's a tied game after the first round. Exciting. Trish, round two. Anything but 10-4. Seven. Always coming seven. What is another name for the Irish language? Uh, Gaelic. Gaelic for two points. And Joe, your second question. The important part of getting the easy questions is not just getting them right, but keeping them away from me. So good job, Trish, so far getting ones I would have gotten right. Uh, I'll take I'll take my lucky number, please. Lucky number nine. Waiting for Godot was written by which Irish playwright? This is embarrassing. I don't know it without the choices. You can take the choices. I know. Hold on. I'm going to see if I can not embarrass myself here. Go ahead with the choices. Was Waiting for Godot written by Oscar Wilde, C.S. Lewis, Samuel Beckett, or Graham Norton? 
Samuel Beckett. Samuel Beckett for one point. So Trisha yeah. had a one point advantage going into the next round. One, two, three, five, six, or eight? Uh, three, please. Question three. Who came fourth in the 2023 Irish Open main event? <laughs> I'll take the choices, please. Okay, was it Tom Waters, Declan Rice, Paniotis Mavritsakis, or Benny Glaser? Waters. It was Tom Waters for a point. But Joe, you can tie the game if on your next question you can get both points. One, two, five, six, or eight. I'll take number one, please. Number one. What is by far the longest and largest river in Ireland? I do not know without without um, the choices. Okay, so the choices are the River Barrow, the River Shannon, the River Liffey, or the River Severn. I've only ever heard the word Liffey before, so I'm going to go with that. It's the River Shannon, so you don't get any points. But we move on to the next round, where your options are two, five, six, or eight, Trish. It sounded Shannony. Uh, eight, please. Question number eight. Worldwide, what is Ireland's best-selling whiskey? Ooh. Jameson? Jameson's for two points. Oh, nice. Ah, I think I would have got that one. I think that's the nail in the coffin right there. I think that's going to be it for me. Okay, two, five, or six, Joe. Uh, two. On what date is St. Patrick's Day? March 14th. It was March the 17th. I admire you for going for the two points, oh, but no. you were three days out. Uh, five or six, Trish? Uh, six, please. There's a reason I got that wrong, by the way. It's because March 14th is my Italian birthday. It's St. Joseph's Day, and I always confuse the two. St. Patrick's Day and St. Joseph's Day. Yeah, I mean, they're so similar. Uh, in Irish folklore, what animal did St. Patrick banish from the country? Uh, snakes. You got rid of all the snakes. You get the full two points. And Joe, let's see if you can get two points here. In which city was the Titanic built? Galway. <laughs> Galway was one of the options, interestingly, but it was north okay. of the border. It was Belfast. So the final score is nine points to Trish, three points to Joe. As predicted, <laughs> you didn't put up a zero. But Trish, you are a winner. We're going to give you a Sunday million ticket and we're going to ship you some Poker in the Ears merchandise as well. Fantastic. Thank you very much for volunteering to come on the show. Thanks, guys. I'm a great, great fan of yours, Lee, so keep up the good work. Thanks, Trish. And like, what a day for you, huh? You got a job. You got, I hopefully you'll have a Sunday off at some point so you can play the Sunday. And don't forget, it finishes on a Monday. Make sure you're free for the final table uh, so that Nick Walsh can do some commentary Absolutely. on you. All right, cool. Thanks, guys. All right, my babies. That's just about all the time we've got for this week's show. Coming up next time. It's the science of scoop with Steve Claricotes. What exactly does he do at PokerStars and how long has he been doing it? 
So Steve has been at Stars for nearly two decades. I think he's one of the longest-serving employees at the company. Wow. He is now head of poker operations for the global market, which we commonly refer to as .com. Um, he designs, builds, and shapes, or at the very least refines, and then signs off on all the schedules for all major online series. So the idea of next week's podcast, which will be coming out on a Wednesday, by the way, rather than a Thursday... It's going to be one of those episodes, Joe, where we go behind the scenes at PokerStars. And with Scoop coming up in less than a month's time, we're going to find out what actually goes into creating a 25-day tournament series. Fantastic. Man. Uh, all right. So next week's going to be a behind the scenes at PokerStars. I got to think of some questions for Steve. I must have them. I bet people who play have questions for Steve. Unfortunately, I don't think we're going to be able to get them off the Discord before we talk to Steve tomorrow. <laughs> that is or true. Or else I would, I would ask them. I would ask people to get him out there. But unfortunately, we're recording his interview before anyone's going to hear this episode. But we are still taking super fan applications on Discord. And of course, we welcome you to comment on the show and ask questions, make guest suggestions. Uh, the link to the PokerStars Discord server, as ever, rests within the words of the podcast description. All right, my babies, that is all the time we have got for our Irish Poker Open recap show. Until next time, for James Hardigan, I'm Joe Stapleton. Smell you later. Smell you later.